Welcome to this week's edition of Flashback Friday, your opportunity to get some good review by listening to episodes from the past that Jason has handpicked to help you today in the present and propel you into the future. Enjoy. Welcome to Creating Wealth with Jason Hartman. During this program, Jason is going to tell you some really exciting things that you probably haven't thought of before and a new slant on investing. Fresh new approaches to America's best investment that will enable you to create more wealth and happiness than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine, self-made, multimillionaire who not only talks the talk, but walks the walk. He's been a successful investor for 20 years and currently owns properties in 11 states and 17 cities. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to financial freedom. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show. This is your host, Jason Hartman, and thank you so much for joining me today. We'll be back with today's guest or segment in just a moment. What's great about the shows you'll find on jasonhartman.com is that if you want to learn about some cool new investor software, there's a show for that. If you want to learn why Rome fell, Hitler rose, and Enron failed, there's a show for that. If you want to know about property evaluation technology on the iPhone, there's a show for that. And if you'd like to know how to make millions with mobile homes, there's even a show for that. Yep, there's a show for just about anything, only from jasonhartman.com. Or type in Jason Hartman in the iTunes store. Let me introduce CPA Mike Murphy. His company is Murphy, Murphy, and Murphy, and they've been in business for many years. You can tell they probably have an Irish background, okay? (laughs) And they are a big company. They're located right here in uh, Cyprus, not too far from us. They have year-round about 50 employees or so, and then uh, during the crunch times, they swell to about 80 employees. So big company, been to their offices many times, and it's interesting because I don't know if you remember this, but I took a picture last time, I don't know if it was, I don't think it was the last time I was at your office, but when I was at your office about a year ago, and you brought out all my files, and they were about two feet tall, and I put Coco, the little puppy, on top of the files when she weighed about, I don't know, four or five pounds, and uh, here she is today, so it's pretty interesting. But Mike does a great job. He, uh, one of the things he said to me a long time ago is he says, you know, Jason, even if someone comes in here and they're just doing like a $400, meaning that's his charges, tax return, just a really simple H&R block style return, he tries to just get them out of any possible tax he can and ideally not pay the government. So uh, he's gonna talk today uh, for about 30, 40 minutes and take a lot of questions too. So we're gonna get a lot of questions in here. So give Mike a big hand. Okay, I've, I've, we're gonna pull up the, uh, the PowerPoint, just take a look at it and kind of just kind of go over some of the key issues. <clears throat> I got a little frog in my throat, so we're gonna have to play with that. But I wanna go and hit some of the key issues that people are talking about and maybe even take a little you know, census on uh, what people would prefer to talk about and then leave it open for questions and answers because there's always a lot of questions and answers. There's been some tax law changes, some that doesn't affect the real estate owner, but um, certainly real estate professional is a hot topic out here for all of us here who are either 
married or working or have multiple, multiple properties. Uh, the other, some of the other hot topics in the past have been short sales, although those are cooling down now, so that might not be as hot a topic. So how many people are, are familiar with Real Estate Professional and either are considering using it or are using it today? Can I have a hand, show of hands? So we've got about a dozen or 15 people on that, and that's kind of important. So for those people, maybe we can take some time to go over that. How many people are involved in short sales? That's a lot less. A year or two ago, there was a lot of people involved in short sales on one side or the other. So maybe we won't go through short sales as much or cancellation of debt, okay? And so I'm gonna be available after, after our talk here, and anyone who has questions, feel free to ask, ask some questions. Well, under, underwater <coughs> mortgages would probably be a possible short sale or a forgiveness of debt, which, which could create income from cancellation of debt. And so that's, since we don't have a whole lot of that, that can, I can spend 45 minutes on that alone. But if you have some questions on that, feel free to ask me after the, uh, at, at the break, okay? So first of all, uh, Jason's already brought up the fact that we've got one of the benefits of real estate is that we have, when you do buy real estate, you get a, a tax, I mean a cash, a non-cash expense, and that's the depreciation that Jason was talking about. Somebody asked me that on the break. And let me just kind of go over that a little bit because there's a benefit where you actually get a deduction without having to fork out any cash for depreciation. So when you buy, an, when you buy a piece of real estate, you have to divide it between land and building. The land is not a depreciable asset. That just stays the same. But the building on top of the land depreciates over the years. It might change over it. So it, uh, in current tax law, if you buy a residential property, you take the building portion of that purchase and, and uh, depreciate it over 27 and a half years. So let's make it easy. Let's say we buy a house for a place for $350,000, 75,000 is land, and 275,000 is building. Then we would take $10,000 a year off in depreciation, which is 275,000 divided by 27 and a half years, we get $10,000 to write off against our, against our income each year for the next 27 and a half years. And, and Mike, that would be a fourplex in yeah, any of their eyes. Yeah, I'm yeah. Just, I, I just use those You're numbers. You're talking today. very California yeah, right and, now. And, and I'm using yeah. those numbers because it's easy to divide 275,000 by 27 and a half years. That's why I use those numbers. So, so it, it's easy to see that now you're not necessarily paying $10,000 a year for that depreciation, but you're gonna get $10,000 worth of write-off. And so that is an added expense to your other operating expenses that you offset against your income to calculate your net income or loss from the real estate. And then from there you go forward to see if, there's a if you can use that deduction or it's gonna be a carry forward deduction based on the passive activity loss rules, which you know, gets more and more involved. And that has, to, so, so everyone probably is familiar with the fact that everybody can write off up to $25,000, if you're not a real estate professional, can write off up to $25,000, uh, and the balance gets carried forward into future, into future years. As long as your income is $100,000 or less, your adjusted gross income is $100,000 or less before your, before your uh, rental income or loss. So if it's, once your income is over 100,000, that 25,000 drops 50 cents on the dollar until you get up to 150,000, when now you don't qualify for anything and your entire real estate loss would be carried forward into a future year against future real estate income or against the properties when you sell the property. So that's pretty familiar. And everyone's probably pretty familiar with that, right? More or less. So, so there's an equation that you go through, and if your income is under $100,000 and you have anything less than $25,000 worth, worth of loss, you can write that off. What's, no, yeah. The, the depreciation gets calculated the same way no matter what. That was one of the questions I had at break. So when you're calculating the, your loss from real estate, for instance, 
you calculate the entire loss from real estate before you apply real estate professional rules or passive activity limitation rules. So you calculate your income, plus all your operating expenses, your interest, your taxes, repairs, maintenance, association dues, et cetera, et cetera, and depreciation expense. And then that's your net loss, in, in our example, from real estate. Then you decide, can we use that loss in today's, on the current tax return, or does it have to be carried forward? You, don't, you never lose the loss, it just, you have to defer it forward, and you can't use it in the current period. So that $25,000 limitation amount is calculated based on your in, other income on the return. Yeah, you, you, can, you can recapture that when you sell the property, or when you have other income from, let's say you have another piece of real estate, or that real estate turns into net income, you offset it against the deferred loss carry for it. That's correct. That's correct. So now, now let's say that you sell one of the, let's say you start accumulating $10,000, $15,000, $20,000 a year for five years. So you have $100,000 deferred passive loss carry for it. When you sell one property, if you make a $50,000 gain and the, and the carry for it on that property is only $15,000, you can still take all the other losses up to that gain. So you can actually use $50,000 worth of passive loss carry for it against it. Right. So provided, if you have gain from the sale of property, you can also offset that against your, your passive loss carry forward, which in many cases you have a gain that might be taxed at 20% and you have a passive loss carry forward that is considered a rental operating loss, which goes against your tax rate, which many times would be higher than 20%. So even, even though you might have $50,000 with gain and $50,000 with passive loss, you think that's even on the return, it's actually a benefit on your return. It, it, it beneficially helps you because you, you're having to write off at a higher rate and you're paying tax at a lower rate on the gain. Anyway, I'm, I'm not trying to confuse you and get too technical on that, but, but that, that, that is a usable gain against future income or gain on, on, other pieces, on all your property. Correct. Unless your income is under 150000 then you can be taking a piece of that up to $25,000. So if, you're, if your income is under 100000 you can take up to $25,000 every single year. And so if you have a $27,000 loss, you would take $25,000 and carry $2,000 forward. If you had a $23,000 loss, you take the entire thing if your income's under 50000 And then you go, you go through that calculation between 100000 and 150000 which shrinks that $25,000, $0.50 on the dollar, until once you get to 150000 then your 25000 is zero, and the entire amount will get, will get carried forward. Kenny. So now you got $50,000 that you can recover. Let's say you sell one property, and you gain 100000 but you're still making over $150,000 a year. What benefit are you getting here? Okay, so you're, you're accumulating a passive loss carry forward of 50000 that you have not used that you kind of have on the books that we're carrying forward. We sell one of the properties for $100,000. Gain. Gain. Sorry, for $100,000 gain. So that $100,000 gain, you could reach back into your deferred loss bucket and take up to $100,000 of gain, I mean, I mean passive loss against that gain. Since we have 50000 accumulated, we would take that entire $50,000 in the year that you sold that property. And, and then your carry forward would be zero. You take it all in the current year because you have $100,000 of passive gain or real estate gain that you can offset against that carry so forward. So at that time, loss. all the, the loss that you carry up to that point gets zeroed out. From all the properties, right. So you can suck in all those. Awesome. You can carry it forward for as long as you own the property or your entire life. There's no limitation on it. That's a good question. Okay. So, so that's, that's the passive activity loss carry forward. And that's something just to be aware of. It's a calculation. You can work closely with your CPA or tax preparer with that. And also it's good to look into your planning for that because some of the discussions we have is if we're gonna be buying a property and we have income from the property or maybe we have 
cash flow po positive, but because of depreciation, we actually have a rental loss. That might affect which property you want to buy, depending on what your particular tax situation is in. Occasionally, I get a client that makes over $150,000, and they may create a $10,000 or $15,000 loss on a property or on a duplex or something, and they can't use that loss. So they're thinking, okay, it's a little bit negative, but I'll save it in taxes. They're not going to save it in taxes. It's a little bit negative. They're going to have to feed that and accumulate that, that loss until they either their income comes under 150000 or they uh, sell a property or they have other gain on, on that other pieces of real estate. Yes? Still sticking with that, that passive loss carryover, can you use the, the carryover to, to counter against, uh, say, an IRA conversion or something, some other taxable event, maybe that or, a, say, a, um, a long-term capital gain on equities or something? See, that, that's, a, that's a really good question. The answer is no on that because now in the current tax law, we have all these different buckets now. So one of the buckets is the real estate bucket where you have the deferred, deferred loss. A different bucket is your gain on, on a, an investment, like on a, your portfolio. So that doesn't offset each other. If you had a gain on a passive business investment, then that may do that. So like if you rolled over an IRA and took, took the income, that would not offset the deferred, deferred loss. That's a good question though. And you have to make sure you plug that in so you get the right uh, answer. So when you make your decision, you make a good, a good decision. Yes. Can when you, repeat, you sell the can you, that's can you good. repeat that question? Okay. If you sell your, you buy a piece of property and you actually sell it at a loss, in the year that you sell the property, all the loss and all the accumulated loss for that property is taken in for that year. Yes, you can. So that, that's a good question. So, you know, let, let's say that you've accumulated, let's just say you make it easy. You have one property and you've had it for six or eight years and you have $8,000 a year that you're not able to write off and you accumulate this $64,000 over eight years, $8,000 a year. And when you sell that property, you can take the accumulated loss from that property as well as a loss on the disposition if you had a loss as well. So you can take that. So sometimes somebody's going to get a, a big hit to income for some reason. They may have an executive bonus or something else that might come, come in. And they're, they're toying with selling their property that has $84,000 worth of, of uh, past loss carry forward that's sticking with that property. That's a good year to sell it. Take all that loss in that, in that current year. Mike, if, oh, yeah, sorry. Okay. if you're deferring losses every year and you're filling that bucket, even if you don't sell a property, couldn't you empty that bucket in the first year you qualify as a real estate professional? No, you can't. That's a good question. That's also a really good question. Okay. So his question is, let's say you're accumulating these losses on four or five or six properties, and then you become a real estate professional in year six. And you have you know, X amount of dollars accumulated in, un, in deferred passive losses that you haven't used. That still stays with the property. And, and when you're a real estate professional, you can't pull that into the current year. You can take the current year's losses, but the, the old stuff, you still have to sit and apply the same rules to when you sell a property or when you have other passive income. So I guess the strategy would be, you know, if you don't have uh, any deferred losses in this bucket, you would 1031 exchange. But if you do have some deferred losses, you can offset a gain, then that would be a good year to just sell outright. Yeah. So sometimes you don't, you don't, yeah, tax-free exchanges are great, especially when you have a lot of gain in the property. You've got a, a depreciated property that's appreciated quite a bit. You're taking a lot of depreciation, but it's appreciated quite a bit through the market. Tax-free exchanges are great, but occasionally you're going to have tons of this past loss carry for it. You can go ahead and not have to worry about the hassle of tax-free exchange and just utilize the passive, act, the passive activity loss. When I say that, that's a real estate loss, and dump it in the current year and offset it. 
or, or you can do a partial. You know, you can do a tax-free exchange where the whole thing doesn't have to drop in. You can, you know, mix it and match it if you plan it right, too. Okay, let's, go, let's take a minute and go over the real estate professional because there's at least 15 people that want to be familiar with that. So, so they're either in that, involved in that or not. And it's a, it's a really high-tech area, and the IRS is auditing the, excuse my French, hell out of, of real estate professionals right now. They just pick them up, and they're just... I, I got a real estate professional audit about two years ago. I think I brought this up last year. And I went out to Santa Ana. We usually have everything transferred to Long Beach office. But the guy said, well, just come out to Santa Ana. We'll go over this. So I sat down with this guy. He was an older gentleman, nice guy. He said that he'd done 200 real estate professional audits. Him alone. I said, oh, is, are you the, are you the, the uh, office expert? He goes, no. I, there's other people who are doing it too. Because what they did is about five years ago, five or six years ago, they, they didn't audit real estate professional at all. I, didn't get, I got zero audits on real estate professionals for you know, since it was available all the way till maybe 2005 or six. And then uh, there's a couple of them you heard through your CPA association are starting to pick up. So they started doing a little study and started picking up these real estate professionals. And, and obviously on that, they had enough adjustments where they actually focused on real estate professionals. So if, you, if your income is over $150,000 and you have losses from real estate that are significant and there's, there's different things that they look at, you have a much higher chance of getting audited for that particular thing. One of the things that they changed on the, on the uh, tax forms themselves is they used to just put in alpha the address of the property. Description of the property, single family dwelling, address, blah, 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 Alabama, right? And so it was, the computer couldn't read that. It was just alphanumeric data. It was just data. Then they changed about three years ago after they did this study. They actually changed the forms to put, the, you, you have a separate box for the city and a separate box for the zip code. So the computer, the big computer in the sky can read that and identify that you're in California with your zip code, which is a separate box on your address also now, and your real estate property is in Alabama, Louisiana, South Carolina, whatever. So they can see that. They also have a separate box for management fees. So they see management fees. So the, the computer, can, they can program the computer, so okay, I got someone's over $150,000, They've got management fees on their properties. All their zip codes are outside the state of their, of their current address. And it, it, you know, it increases the possibilities. Now, I do have some people. Now, Mike, what, what's the significance, though, of having the property be out of state? What, what does that mean to the IRS? That, that's good. So in a real estate professional, and I'll go over that in, in a minute here, real estate professional, they want to see that you are involved in the active participation of managing that property. So you're involved in the property. If, you're, if it's in your own backyard, you're going to be going to it. You're going to be maybe collecting rent. You're going to be discussing stuff with the tenant. You're going to be checking the gate that's broken, blah, 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 blah. If it's out of state, then it, it tends to be that you might have someone do that for you or maybe handling a lot more telephonically. And so they want, what the IRS wants to do is prove that you're not a real estate professional, which means you have someone else doing a lot of the work, and you're just you know, in the back kind of passively actively managing it. That's what they try to So, hit, so hit this, is, this is what we talked about yesterday about the 750 hours, but 500, 750 total hours, about 15 hours a week, which you can do that, but 500 of those have to be material participation. Right. Now, I've mentioned this before many times, but maybe some of you didn't catch it on the podcast or you weren't at the last Masters. I was audited for real estate professional if you can believe that. <laughs> like, I live, eat, and breathe real estate. What else do I do, right? And Mike handled the audit. He represented me, and I won. Right. 
but feel free to Jason, use my so, story. I mean, that, that's a good indication. Yeah. Jason's income was high enough and his write-offs were high enough, and so they flagged him and tried to create He's in the real estate industry. He's definitely a real estate professional, but they said yes, but do you have... What they tried to nail him on was 500. You don't mind me saying this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was no problem to have the 750. It was the 500 of actual. So the 750, we could show that all day, right? But, but this is where they're trying to tag the people on. Because 750, you, you can be working, paying bills, calling your real estate management company, doing all investing Investing activities is outside the 750, by the way. But you can do that. But, they, but this is where the IRS came in and honed in on it. Yes, but you, you have to have 500 hours of active participation. And, so, and, and the problem was, at that time, for the year they were auditing, I think it was 2007 they were auditing me for, I had all property managers. I didn't self-manage anything. So they were claiming that, well, you know, you didn't participate. And what we produced is a bunch of emails I sent to property managers, giving them instructions and showing that I was engaged and involved. So, we, we had a, so what we did, and a good CPA is going to help you do this, is going to show active. So think of, uh, how, you got to be smarter than a fifth grade or whatever. Think of our fifth grade English class, and we have verbs, right? And we have passive verbs, and we have action verbs. Action verbs are things that you're doing something. You're, you're, you're making decisions. You're meeting with people. You're... And passive verbs are more like discussing things or reviewing things or paying bills. So what, what they were trying to do is saying, well, this, you know, they're trying to find as much passive activity, pa passive action, and say, well, that's, they say, okay, you have 750 hours or 1,000 hours, but you only have 400 hours or 450 hours that are active, where you're actively involved. So for Jason, he was, you know, talking to real estate, uh, to property managers, making decisions on what type of, Repairs need to be made, who the renters were going to be, should we, should we tell the renters they have to leave, leases they had to be reduced. So we just showed a lot of activity for 500 hours. And here's the weird thing for a real estate professional, it's not, an allocate, it's not an allocated amount. If you're at 449, you're out. If you're at 500, you're in. So it's an all or nothing type thing. So it's just, it's just being smart, just being smart. And you can look at bills that you pay, email that you do. And so you're trying to just not say, hey, uh, discussed, you know, reviewed uh, income and expenses with the property manager, two hours. That's gonna, that's gonna, that, that could be added to your 750 hours, but that's not going to be part of your 500 hours. And that's where they're, that's where they're getting their bulk of their, their, their benefit. Yeah, the, the IRS has, the, I, I, luckily I got some copies of, of what the IRS has, like a workbook that they train their, their agents on, saying that active is, like, uh, if, if, if they see management fees, they automatically think that the manager is making all the active, active decisions and that you're just, they're just reporting to you. So then you've got to show that you're actively involved in making those decisions and reviewing the bids for, you know, for, you know, the garage door repair work or whatever. So, 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 so if, if you're looking, you know, if you're just, let me give a, a description of passive because this is where everybody messes up on the passive. Discussing things reviewing things, looking at month-end statements, paying bills, opening mail. That's all part of your 750 hours, but that's more passive management. Active is when you're involved in the operations of that rental property. So you're actively involved in making decisions on who you're going to pick for the bid for the repair work. Do you, you know, this is a new roof that we need. I'm, I'm evaluating the five potential tenants that are going to lease this place from me. You know, so you're, you're more, much more involved in the operations of it, not...
passively reviewing stuff after the fact or bill paying or, or things that are kind of outside the property. Here's, here's two things you can do. One is, and if you're a member where you pay $120 a year and you have the back end of it and you get the monthly conference calls and all that stuff, you know, I've done some monthly calls on self-management and the property managers in the room may not like me talking about this, sorry, but I think the self-management thing works pretty great. Honestly, I, I really like it. I don't get midnight calls, never happened in all these years, you know, blah, blah, blah. I know you hear those stories, but the worst thing, like I mentioned last night, that ever happened on the self-management was that air conditioning guy in Houston, right? He got kind of mad at me, okay? But, but wait, there's one other thing. So, so self-management, you can do, and then you are definitely active. I mean, if, yeah, you're, but, if, you're, but, if you don't have a manager. Yeah, but again, if you're reviewing bills or paying bills, that's going to be part of your 750, but that's not going to be part of your active material participation. Right. But if you directly deal with the tenant, yeah. you are active. Yes, that's right. Okay, for sure. There's no question. The other thing you can do, and this I would recommend anyway, regardless whether you want to be a real estate professional or not, and the property managers may not like me saying this either, but they all put clauses in their property management agreements that you sign with them that say, we have the right to uh, spend uh, $200 a month, or per incident maybe, it might be written either way, for repairs on your behalf without your approval. Now, I've been annoyed by property managers spending too much money over the years, and so I've really made that lower. I make it 100 bucks a month. And some managers that I got, you know, that ultimately ended up firing me, if you want to get fired and you don't like your manager, this is one way to do it. Say, no authorization whatsoever. You call me about, you know, I mean, you email me about everything. And they might object and say, well, you know, that's impossible. What if we can't reach you? Are you kidding me? You know, with this little phone, I can be anywhere on planet Earth. And, I mean, I don't know about you, but I love being connected. I don't get these people that want to go on vacation and, like, disconnect. That's overrated. Okay? Um, <laughs> I check my email, like, every, you know, 20 minutes. Okay? And... and you know, it's just, you can just get me. It's easy. You know, it's just an answer like yes, no. It's not like a complicated paragraph. So for those people who do use property managers, which a lot of us do, that's okay. But just be involved and active and keep track of, of more than discussions, but more decision making that you're doing. And more, you're, 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 or uh, if, if, you're getting, uh, if you're getting tenants or looking, have them email you the tenant stuff. Email them back saying, I don't like the first one, I don't like the second one, I like the third one. You can make it three or four different emails or whatever. But show that activity. And what, what I do as far as for all my real estate professionals, uh, under the management fee, I never put it under the management fee box. I never put it under, under the management fee box. I always put it in a different, in a different category, okay? So I, I never let the, you know, show the computer that, that, that that's the case. And some, with some of my clients, we even discuss the, uh, the zip code of, of the property saying, well, it's really being managed by my zip code where I'm at. So we sometimes do that a couple times, too. But for the most part, you know, they can't say anything about that if they audit it, but it's certainly not tipping your hat to the computer to, to help it out. Do you know if you're likely to be, like Jason was audited for the 2007 tax year, are you more likely to be audited in the same year as, as you file the return or years later, or do you see any correlation? Normally or? an audit, like right now we're just finishing with 2011 audits, and they're just starting 2012 audits. So, so they're, you know, they, don't, they don't even start the audits for a year after you file. Oh, okay. I, uh, they, uh, an April 15th audit, uh, April 15th file return might get pulled by the end of the year, by the end of the calendar year. Question? Do you have to show consistent activities, so for instance, in every month activity, or is it okay if they're bunched up into a couple, three months it, it's of the year? It's supposed to be consistently through the year. 
Okay. So, and it's actually beneficial to do that. And you know, you can keep track of, a, of just you know, on your calendar of activity or maybe with your emails and try, try to create some of that. And I'm not saying you have to have this perfect book that you bring to your CPA or, or your tax professional. If you think you're close, have a discussion. If you don't get audited, save the time, enjoy the ball game. But if you do get audited, then you might have to go back and pick up some of that and reconstruct it and work well, very close with your tax professional and they'll help you organize it. And if they're not familiar with it, give me a call and I'll help you with it to coordinate just the, just the log to make sure that the activity is there. Mike. Yes. If you are not a real estate professional, does that 25,000 passive loss require material participation? No. You, you, you just supposed to, if you're not a real estate professional, basically if you own more than 10% of the property, you're assumed to, to have, to qualify for that, for that uh, 25,000. Hey Mike, I'm presuming a few people in the room just went, oh, I'm not going to be a professional. What's the next best thing? Uh, can you become an S-Core or something, you know, what's the next best that's, thing? That's a, that's a great question. Actually, no, because if you're an S-Corp or an LLC and you're not a real estate professional, uh, when you get your K-1 from that entity, it gets passed through to you individually. And there's, there's, there's on the K-1, there's operating income and then there's real estate income or loss. So that goes through on your return, showing it as passive activity, and then you still got to do the qualification. Anything else? Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of times... Remember, uh, if you're going to be a real estate professional, you have to have over 750 hours. 500 have to be actively part, uh, materially participation, and you cannot work another job more than you work in your real estate. So in, in hours, is in, that hours in hours, in okay. hours. So like Jason's fine because he's he's already working in real estate, so that all goes in the same big bucket, right? But for a lot of us, we're, you know, we have another profession. So if I work 2,080 hours, which is 40 hours a week times 52 weeks, then that means I have to work. 2,081 hours in real estate in order to be a real estate professional. So it's pretty tough to do that. The other way to do that is if you have a spouse or non-working spouse or a part-time part spouse, then you might be able to qualify that way. So, I mean, not, 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 not. That would be... Okay. That might be more fun, too, besides real estate professional. Do another one. If, you, if you could do that, I would definitely be married. <laughs> you see, you see. Sorry, over here. Go ahead. So, uh, you said it's all or nothing, right? So 450 hours of active, you don't count. 500 hours, you count. How do you prove how many hours off of emails? And so so it, it, you'd have to put together a log. So like I have a log that I usually shoot over to my client. It's in Excel. So they can kind of go through it and fine-tune it. and see. You, know, you can kind of quantify it as you're going up. I'm at 450 hours. I'm at 510 hours. I'm at 530 hours or whatever. So you know, you, if, if, you, if anyone ever gets audited for that and they need a log and they haven't put that together email me. I'm Mike. I should put this up. I'm Mike at Murphy3.com. Okay. Three's a number. Good Irish Catholic firm, Murphy3, Murphy because Murphy, Murphy, Murphy. Mike at Murphy3.com. You can email me or you can call me. Uh, we're at Murphy3. Our website is Murphy3.com. So give me a call and I'd be happy to forward you uh, an example of that log and you can fill that up. I, a lot of times, like I said, if, if you just kind of keep a good calendar and a good, you know, your email goes into one file and stuff like that, if you think you can qualify, then go ahead and do that. I don't want you to spend 100 hours in a log that you just file away and three years from now, just you, you toss it and you, just, you, know, you could have spent that 100 hours with your family or your, your part-time spouse or whatever. So, This is a question for maybe both Jason and, and you, Mike. Uh, Jason, you mentioned in passing a few minutes ago about if you're not... If, you don't, if, if you're an active and you're not a real estate professional, you mentioned to start a business. What do you mean by that if you're not a real estate professional? No, I didn't mean it relating to real estate. Okay. I just meant 
I think everybody should have some sort of home-based business where they can pass a few more expenses into the write-off category. So, you know, maybe some of your auto mileage. Like if you're a W-2 person and you don't have any business of your own, I highly recommend you have some business of your own. Underwater basket weaving business, whatever you want. Okay, but and, and I don't know how long you're allowed to lose money on something, you know, maybe not very long, maybe three out of five years. Yeah, three out of five years. So yeah, there's, a, there's, there's a hobby law saying, hey, you're just in business for the fun of it. If you lose for the four years in a row, they say you can lose three, you can have a loss three out of five years and you're considered okay, but if you have it more than three out of five years, they're going to consider it a hobby, that you're just in business to have fun and the profit motive's not there and they can take it off your, off your yeah. return. So, you know, you could have a windsurfing business. <laughs> I'm joking a little bit. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff you could do. You know, all these online things and whatever. You know, Reselling, just, you could do. Just you have a resell. little side thing so you can write some expenses off. That's all. You know, like some of your cell phone bill, your internet access, maybe a home office deduction. So, so going back to the um, real estate professional, one question I have is I've say I've got a lot of stuff out of state. Um, would it make sense then if I had purchased a property in state that I can manage locally and I do manage sure. that one as part of it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then that could kind of be my primary focus. Yeah. Even though you're not going to get that many hours out of it, it does show that I'm an active manager. That's a, that's a good point. You can, you can, well, all my real estate professionals group, make a grouping election that says, says all the real estate together is combined to make up that 500 and 750 hours. So, yeah, let's say you have one that you can go back and forth, go to the tenant, meet the gardener. That, you can add a lot more hours on that one property than your out-of-state properties. That's correct. It, it kind of seems like this is a little bit like uh, communism. Doug likes to always say the saying, you know, we act like we're working and they act like we pay us and, and, and they act like they pay us. You know, you kind of want to you sort of show that you're doing these things. And, and you know? you, if you do that, if I ever send you that log, I'll have suggestions on, you know, you'll, you'll see the, where it says description of what you're doing. I have action words in the active part. And then the other starts can be review words. And if I do a select and, and uh, sort, you know, I, I can add up the, the, the I, I make sure that it's over. Before I send it back in, it's all, you know, it's, it's going to go to the IRS with over 500 active participation uh, hours. Okay, good. So, uh, so I uh, am I correct in thinking that uh, if you were to actually tell all of your outside managers to refer virtually all decisions to you before they're made, uh, that could easily come up to 500 hours yeah. a year, then it would be a no-brainer. You'd get Yeah, this. and that, actually what Jason said is a good idea. I mean, you could even have a separate, separate agreement to say, you know, I want all active decisions being made by me before any things are made. So I want to run by things. I want to be... Uh, understand what, what repair work needs to be done. I want to look at the vendors. I want to see you know, who, the, who the best repairman is going to be, and I want to make the decisions. That would be excellent. You can almost draw something up and have them sign it and say, look, I'll still let you make some of the decisions, but as far as cosmetically here, we're just going to show that. And the other good. strategy is do a lot of your communications via email. So there's a paper trail, and it yeah. shows that you really were doing something. This is not really a question, but Mike, you work locally here. Do you work with clients all over the U.S.? Yes, I do, by okay, the way. So, so, a lot so of I, I, I have clients all over the United States, probably two-thirds of them are here in Southern California, the other third are spread all over the other 49 states. Um, in the area of tax write-offs, how do you feel about foundations versus um, like home-based business? Well, a foundation, you start your own foundation, you can contribute money to that and get a deduction like a charitable contribution. So if it's your own foundation, it's limited to 30% of your income for that year. So if you made $100,000, $30,000 would be the max you put in there. And then that goes in your foundation, and then you can decide how to, you're going to divvy it up. 
The other way we would do it, if you had a sweetheart personality already and you wanted to give that much to somebody, you can give 10 or 10, whatever amount, to the charity, to that charity of your choice and accomplish the same thing. But some people like to accumulate a foundation. So you get the write-off for that, but if you put $30,000 in there, it's not going to save you $30,000 in taxes. That $30,000, depending on what tax bracket you're in, might save you to run your foundation that you, you need for it. That's true. If you're, yeah, so if you can fold that stuff into the purpose and mission statement of, of the foundation, yeah. then you'd be able to utilize some of those expenses that you, you'd otherwise have. You're paying for yourself. You can pay through your foundation. And then you get the deduction for the foundation. Go ahead, Kenny. Yeah, you guys shouldn't use Mike. He's like a magician. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> He's really awesome. Thank you. Appreciate that. This show is produced by the Hartman Media Company, all rights reserved. For distribution or publication rights and media interviews, please visit www.hartmanmedia.com or email media at hartmanmedia.com. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own, and the host is acting on behalf of Platinum Properties Investor Network, Inc. exclusively.